Doctors Without Borders does really important work in South Sudan. They are taking care of children and the women, the mothers who are going for deliveries. Alak Dao lives in South Sudan, not far from the Nile River in Juba. And he knows Doctors Without Borders because all three of his children were born in their hospitals. The hospital was great. They are taking care of children and the women, the mothers who are going for deliveries. They give a very good treatment to the children, including my children, including my wife. When she goes for, for deliveries, she go to the hospital of Doctor Without Borders. They also helped keep his children healthy after they were born. Anybody who don't have the money, get the treatment from the hospital of Doctor Without Borders. They give care to people who are vulnerable. This is something to be appreciated. But after working for the International Humanitarian Organization for 10 years, there are other things that Alakdao doesn't appreciate. One way that I feel discriminated is that when I raise my point, even if I know it is with a lot of experience and I know it is true, I'm not confident that it will be accepted. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like a word of a child. And in fact, I'm not a child. I'm Malika Bilal, and this is The Take. This summer, more than a thousand current and former employees of Médecins Sans Frontières, also known as MSF, or Doctors Without Borders, signed a letter outlining structural racism within the aid organization and asking for a change. It made headlines all over the world last month. Worldwide mobilization against racism has reached a Nobel Peace Prize-winning aid organization, Doctors Without Borders. In terms of an international organization that is supposed to be, you know, without borders, you have many borders. One of the sparks that set employees off was a statement from MSF's Italian office. It recommended the organization stop using words like racism and suggested that everyone, including Doctors Without Borders, should talk about all lives matter instead of Black lives. For Ursula Edwards, an American supply manager, and a lot of staff members who were signing the letter against racism at MSF, this was exactly the wrong statement. Seeing this coming from an official entity of Doctors Without Borders and seeing them say that all lives matter, clearly they've missed the mark. Because if you think that, then you realize that they don't put value because they're not seeing that people are hurting. They're not seeing that things are offensive. The language used by the employees in the letter was strong. It states, quote, not only is racism perpetuated within MSF, but it is racism and white supremacy that shape the culture and mindset that still defines our organization. The white European expert and the distant other in need. With few exceptions, MSF's humanitarianism still suppresses indigenous voices, overlooks indigenous knowledge, denies individual and community agency, and makes a mockery of the radical notion of solidarity." End quote. Ursula says she's heard some balk at the term white supremacy. The term white supremacy has been used. But she stands by it. Look up the dictionary definition. It's just saying that white people are superior and should be in charge. And that's all that's happening. 
white people are always the manager. And even when they nationalize a position where the local staff takes over the work, they don't get the title. They don't get the pay for the most part. And so they are superior. They are making all the decisions. They are in control. The president of Doctors Without Borders, USA Board of Directors, Dr. Africa Stewart, wrote in a statement, right now, we are listening. And we're taking a hard look at how to confront racism and discrimination within our organization. They've pledged to do better, but not all of their employees are convinced. And some say there is so much work to be done. It's the expats and the national staff. And somehow there's this line drawn as if one group is somehow better than the other. And it's just frankly not true. One group is less experienced than the other. (laughs) And it's usually the expats. The national staff are the local hires, people who live in the country, who know the language and the culture. As an American supply manager, Ursula is an expat and acknowledges the privileges that brings her. She's also Black and says she's experienced pretty blatant racism. I've been told, you know, you're the first Black person that I've actually been able to talk to. Like, usually they can't understand. Usually... It's not interesting to talk to them. They're not at the same level, but you're actually educated. This is a colleague I work with who is working with these people in the field. And perhaps not surprisingly, Ursula says it happens to the national staff too. There are times where locals will live in the same compound as the expats. And there's just this strict line that they don't spend time together. You don't see people approach the locals and say, hey, do you want to play this game with us? Or, hey, do you want to do this? She says the division is obvious and it's unfair. These African colleagues work their butts off. They do all the hard work. They have the experience. They have to put up with new people coming in and fumbling around and making mistakes. And they correct those mistakes time and time again. And they have no room for upward momentum. And they're afraid to speak out because they're afraid that the position will be given to someone else or their contract won't be renewed. She describes a hierarchy. Locals at the bottom, foreign nationals or expats from non-Western countries in the middle, and Western expats at the top. Ursula's been asking staff members about their experiences with racism and their fears about speaking out, even before the letter. And she's been collecting quotes from people who were afraid to speak out themselves. She shared one with us. It's from a WhatsApp conversation amongst MSF employees responding to the letter from people who want to stay anonymous. Let me look it up. She said, I am sure you will never be sent on another mission if you were to ever speak out. We have this open letter with around a thousand signatures. And still, I'm told by many people that they're too afraid to sign it because if they're associated with this, then their job is at jeopardy. And that's just tragic. It turns out that letter was just the tip of the iceberg. We talked to a former Doctors Without Borders logistics manager who says he was punished for speaking out before there was a letter. It took some time, effort. Hello? But we finally reached Alak. Alak Dow, who you heard from in the beginning. He was part of MSF's national staff in South Sudan. If you've ever wondered what a hot summer night in Juba, South Sudan, sounds like, this is it. 
Do you know what that noise was? Yeah, it's, it it's a like frog. You know, it's... A frog? <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> it sounds so beautiful. I I love it. Oh my gosh! It sounds great. <laughs> it's quite natural. It's quite natural here. So yeah. the grass and fall of water, and you know. Alak is originally from Bor, South Sudan, but lives in the capital Juba now. Are you outside? Are you on a balcony or a patio? Yeah, I'm outside. Yeah, I'm outside, oh. standing in our compound. Now it is the middle of the night. It's 11.20. That means it's going to be 12, which is midnight in 40 minutes. Oh, so, and there is no light. It is in darkness. But this interview is really very important to me. This is why I choose this time, because the internet doesn't work very well. It's highly, you know, it's highly congested during the daytime. This is why I choose this time, because I would like my message to reach you and to reach everybody. Well, I really appreciate you staying up so late for us and doing this. Alok's alone now. His family is still in Bor, but he's hoping to have them join him soon. There are frogs and crickets, so much nature. It's a perfect playground for his daughters, who are four and seven, and his son, who's just two. But that's not why he wants to move his family to Juba. He needs to move there to find a new job. I am jobless now. He lost his job in April after working with Doctors Without Borders for a decade. They called me for the job of translator and I went to the hospital and I was uh, told to go and be the translator in the maternity ward. In the maternity ward, I refused because I was shy from our mothers <laughs> uh, yeah, to be in the delivery room. I said, yeah. no, I can't do this. Uh, if you get another chance, I will do it. And then, okay, I left, and then they advertised another position of translator. And he took it. And I accepted it. And then in 2011, they promoted me to another position of a storekeeper. In 2012, they promoted. I got five promotions. Oh, wow. I got five. What What did you like about the job? The passing was a job that the MSF do because I see the patient are our own relatives, our own people. And the hospital that the government is running was not effective enough, like the hospital of of uh, Dr. Without Borders. They were mm. really saving life of the children, the, our mothers, malnourished children. They could go for outreach. I really admire, I really like to be a part of something that impact the life of, of our people in a positive manner. So I was really happy to be a part of that hospital. Another thing that I like about the job was the interaction with people from different backgrounds, people from different countries. It was hard to confirm each of his promotions, but we did see several letters of recommendation. However, Alak faced problems, too. One of the most obvious was his salary. Do you feel comfortable telling us what your salary was? My first salary as a translator, it was 400 US dollars. And my last salary when I left, it was 800, 840 sometime, 800. And for someone who was an expat, quote unquote, or someone who was not from South Sudan doing the same job, would they make more? They make more, yeah. They make more. They make like 2,000 and something. And the dynamics Alak describes mirror what Ursula said. With the national stuff, uh, you know, definitely you feel 
lower than them because you were found in your country and you get hired locally. And like Ursula, Alok says he's seen the African staff treated differently. There are a lot of issues eh, that I can term as racism in terms of communication at work. When somebody comes from France or America, people fear them so much, you know. You tell me, like if somebody tell you that, okay, if you complain about the salary, the low salary, and somebody said, even your country is not paying you like this. Your country mm-hmm. is paying you uh, 10 US dollars and your government official, your, your military are paid less. You should be proud. Here was this organization he loved and admired, but this took an emotional toll. So he decided to do something about it. I was a staff representative for national staff. And that Mm. has badly affected me. He says he saw that his fellow South Sudanese staff members had needs that they wanted addressed. And Alok took on the role of helping them. I can tell you one of the reasons that made me lose my job is being vocal. Is being, you know, speaking on behalf of the staff is one of the reasons that that made me lose my job. Although they didn't tell it because they know it's not allowed in the rule of MSF. He says he felt like he was being observed. Like they were waiting for him to make a misstep, waiting for him to do something wrong. And uh, one American guy who was my direct manager was assigned to monitor me from A to Z. Any single mistake I made was made big. MSF could not confirm if that was true before our deadline. Do you think that if you were American or French or British, that that would have happened to you? Or do you think you would have been allowed to speak out? I would be allowed to speak out if I am American. If I was also from those countries, I would really speak uh, loudly and it could not affect me because I know I know where to claim my right. Mm-hmm. What affect me the most is yeah, is, is the location where I am. They know it's not that easy to to follow my right. Eventually, what Alak dreaded would happen happened. It started with the misplaced radio. Busy with work, Alok says he forgot one of the radios in a generator cabinet. For several days, it couldn't be found. Then, he says, the American, his direct manager, found it. And he came to me with the radio and said, this is the radio, I found it. You are being not careful. Forgetting something is human. I was not doing it intentionally. They gave me a warning from that. That was one. Then, over the Christmas holiday, the airport was closed. His home in Bor was a plane flight away, so Alok was late to work. I was traveling on the road. The car had problem. It became three days, and I arrived. He gave me another warning. He cannot consider that the transport in the airport is closed. And then, this year, coronavirus came. Coronavirus, all the public transport, the air transport was closed in my country. And Alok was late again. The American had returned to the United States. Another manager was there when Alok heard the bad news. He didn't want to see him go. But the recommendation was left by your former boss. He's saying, I don't want to fire you. Yeah, yeah. I'm so sorry. So how did you feel when you got that final notice that they were letting you go? I really fell down. Huh? I really fell down. Over his decade of employment, Alak had received a number of recommendations. He sent us some of them, with phrases like good leader. Communication is listed as a strength. 
He's praised for his open mind. If I had to know that I have no future in Doctor Without Borders, I would have got a job with the United Nations. I would have got a job with the World Food Program. I would have got a job even in, a, in another organization who pay better. I can stay 10 years without getting another job. If I knew that I have no future here, I would have done so. Alak had dreams of traveling, of helping people, of making Doctors Without Borders his life. Now, he has no interest in working for Doctors Without Borders again. Because when they hear my voice and they know it is Alak, I know they will not hire me back, but I don't care about it. What I care about it is the activities, the service that they are giving to our people. My colleagues who are still working for Doctors Without Borders should be treated fairly and they should work freely and confident. This is what I care, and this is what made me to speak to you now. And that's also what the thousand others who signed that letter want. They want a good organization to be better. For me, Doctor Without Border is a very great organization, very good organization. Even for personal development, you learn a lot of things. But you just need to eliminate those bad part of it, and then it will remain very, very good organization, yeah. We reached out to MSF for a response to Alok's story specifically. They said they would not be able to respond by our deadline, as, quote, we have many projects and a few different operational centers in South Sudan. They were also unable to make anyone available for an interview in time. They did refer us to their latest statement in response to the employee letter accusing the organization of racism. It was put out July 24th and acknowledges a need to address biases. Quote, We are very conscious that the vast majority of the general directors appointed by our associations are of European descent, which limits our ability to identify the extent of our own biases and provide truly diverse perspectives for leading our movement. End quote. And there's a list of changes the organization implores itself to take on starting with, quote, breaking the glass ceiling for locally hired staff, addressing the difference in compensation in our teams, and further down the list, continuing to tackle the broader issues of harassment, abuse, and discrimination throughout the organization. This isn't the first time MSF has been confronted with accusations of racism in the workplace. Three years ago, they dealt with the same thing, And Ursula says they're still waiting for something to happen from that. There's a lot of people who say we're willing to work on this. We're willing to do this. And then years pass and nothing happens. And then others are saying there's not a problem because they're worried about how it'll make the organization look. And so am I. I care a lot about Doctors Without Borders. I think we do a lot of good, and I'm really proud to say I work for them. But if I don't speak out, if you don't hear the voices, if you aren't a part of the solution, it's it's a huge problem. You're part of the problem. And that's The Take. This episode was produced by Amy Walters, with help from Dina Kispe, Abigail Oniwohaja, Priyanka Telve, Nay Alvarez, Alexander Locke, and me, Malika Bilal. Natalia Aldana is The Take's engagement producer. Alex Roldan is our sound designer. Stacey Samuel is the executive producer. And Graylin Brashear is Al Jazeera's head of audio. And we want to extend a special thanks to Sakhar Al-Maxi at AJ+. 
He and his team produced a great video about this that you should definitely check out. We'll tweet it out at AJ the Take. And we'll also tweet out a link to MSF's full statement that they sent us. If you have an idea for a future episode or want to share what you think about this episode, get in touch. We're at AJ the Take on Twitter and Instagram. We'll be back.